0: and welcome to Speak A Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you're a first time listener, an extra special thank you for joining in. If you guys haven't heard this podcast yet, you know what? It's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. I like to offer all kinds of dog information, some training tips and advice. Of course, we have our breed of the week segment. We talk all about different dog stuff and our guest spots. And our guest spots feature different animal people from a wide variety of animal fields. And it's just an all around good time. So if you haven't clicked that subscribe button yet, stop what you're doing right now. Make sure you click that follow or subscribe button. You know, I'm bringing weekly podcast to you guys now. We're coming out with episodes every single Wednesday, so a lot of great content for you. So again, if you haven't clicked subscribe or follow, do so right now. And if you're a regular listener, hey, thank you so much for tuning in. I really I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to share my my information, my dog World of Dogs with you. So, if I haven't heard from you yet and you're a regular listener, I want to hear from you. Leave me a review, leave me a rating, let me know what you're thinking. And of course, if you do have any questions about dog training or hey, maybe just dogs in general, your question might get featured on that listener QA segment. So you can email me at questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to follow me, guys, social media, Instagram, Speak a Dog Cast. We're on Facebook, SpeakAdogcast. You can always visit the website too, speakadogcast.com. Check it out. But I am excited because we have a great, great show lined up today, you know? Our first segment today, it's gonna be a newer segment. It'll only be the second time that we feature this segment, and it's our dog heroes segment. Yes. It's going to be about a person who's either been a hero to a dog or maybe a dog that's been a hero. After that, we're going to have a segment about working off-leash and the recall. All about learning to work off-leash with your dog, what steps you have to take to get there, and getting them to come back to you and call door the recall. After that, we're going to have our guest spot... I am excited for the guest spot today. We have Dr. Ken Conley coming on the show, and he's going to talk to us all about exotic animal pathology. It's going to be fascinating. I'm I'm really looking forward to this today, so you're definitely going to want to check that out. And then after our guest spot will be our breed of the week, followed by our listener Q&A. But before we get started today, I've got to give you that trivia question. That's right. Every week I'm bringing you a new dog-related trivia question, and today's question is going to be, What breed of dog is the only breed that does not bark? Yes, what is the only dog that does not bark? And again, I'll give you that answer somewhere in today's episode. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy today's podcast. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our Dog Heroes segment. Today I have a really great story I want to share with all of you about somebody who stepped up and was a hero not only to dogs, but some cats as well. The story uh, takes place on December 18th at an Atlanta-area animal shelter when it went up in flames. A fire had started in the kitchen, and a 53-year-old homeless man by the name of Keith Walker ran into the Wonder Dogs animal shelter and sprang into action. Walker said, I was nervous as hell, I'm not gonna lie. I was really scared to go in there with all that smoke, but God put me there to save those animals. He went on to say, if you love a dog, you can love anyone in the world. My dog is my best friend, and I wouldn't be here without him. So I knew I had to save all those other dogs. This story really is just all-around awesome and, and incredible because he was able to save all of the animals inside, six dogs and 10 cats. And you know, another great news... The, the, the rescue wonder dogs, they were only a week away from moving into their new facility, also in the Atlanta area, and that's now where all the animals are safely residing. So really, really great timing. Couldn't have been better timing there for that. Now, Gracie Hamlin, the owner of the rescue group, said she had known uh, knows Mr. Walker previously, who has been homeless since he was 13 years old. Now, Hamlin so graciously allows Mr. Walker to keep his dog, a pit bull named Bravo, at the shelter every night. Walker was on his way back to the shelter to pick up his dog, take him for his daily walk, and do their normal routine when he saw the building engulfed in flames. So that's when he sprang into action, showed some true courage and bravery, and went in and saved all of those animals. Now, Hamlin said, I can't thank him enough for saving my animals. I'm still in disbelief because I've been around a fire and I know how fast they can flare up. He is my hero. Really an amazing, amazing story. And again, what an incredible amount of courage to just go in there like that and do what needed to be done. So I know I thank you. Everybody that's listening thanks you. Hats off to you, sir. Keith Walker, what an amazing, amazing act you did. I thank you, sir, for being not only a dog hero, but a cat hero as well. So thank you once again, Keith Walker, for being a dog hero. Tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over? Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps doggy day camps boarding and more for more information check out our website www.thenatureoftraining.com or you can find us on facebook or instagram at David davidpaws located in palm city florida serving all of the treasure coast and north palm beach county the nature of training helping you achieve success with your pet Up on Speak Dogcast, Dog Cast, it's all about off-leash work and the recall. Is there anything cooler than working with your dog and having no leash? Being able to maintain that level of control, it is an awesome feeling. It really is. It proves that you've really solidified a good bond with your dog and you have a really good relationship and connection with them. And you've really built a good level of trust. To me, that's what it says to be able to work successfully with your dog and not have a leash. Now, how do you get to that point, though? How do you get there? How do you trust your dog enough that you know when the leash and the rules disappear that you can still trust them? They'll still listen to you, right? Now, before we get into all that, before we get into the details of this, uh, we have to talk about one thing first, and that's leash laws. Okay? Leash laws are different everywhere you go. Every state's different. Sometimes cities are different. Sometimes counties have their own leash laws. So, uh, you know, it's impossible for me to know all of them. It is. I will say this. In the state of Florida, where I live, here's the way it goes. It's actually pretty simplistic. On the state level, there is a law that says if your dog is not on private property, they must be restrained by a leash. Leash and collar, right? So... What that means, pretty straightforward, the second you walk off property, the second your dog leaves your property, it must have a leash on. That includes living in suburbia and your dog goes over into your, into your neighbor's yard. If they don't have a leash on, you're breaking the law. Those of you that go to the dog park and open the door to your car and just boom, boom let your dog bolt out straight to the gate without a leash on, guess what? In the state of Florida, you are breaking the law. Once your dog gets into the dog park and it's in a restrained environment or uh, contained, excuse restrained, contained environment, then it's perfectly acceptable for your dog to not have that leash on. And they're on private property at that point, but you cannot be out in public with your dog without a leash on. Okay, that's just that is this that is the rule, that is the law in the state of Florida. So with that said, I can't legally advocate that people walk their dogs off leash here in the state of Florida. Now, I think that's probably a good thing, (laughs) as some people just can't handle that responsibility. Um, (laughs) But no, I can't. I can't advocate that people walk their dogs off leash because it's against the law. You're on private property. Again, that's one thing. But the second you're on public public land and, and you're out in public, you cannot walk your dog off leash here. And and look, I've I run into that issue here where I've tried to walk by and here's this, I've got four dogs all leashed up, all behaving. I'm out in public and here's this not nice person with their dog completely off leash, completely uncontrolled. And I go, hey, can you please restrain your dog? I'm, you're, you're kind of blocking the whole walkway. I can't get by. Uh, and they just ignore me. This actually happened. They, they just straight up like, screw you, you know? Um, It's amazing, the self-level selfishness. All right, so let's, David, get off your soapbox. Shut up. Um, (laughs) Okay, but again, so I can't advocate this. However, I teach it because I think it's very important that your dog knows what to do in a scenario where the leash isn't there, okay? There's that whole safety factor of the door's open, the front, someone left the front door open, and your dog has never had that happen. They're probably going to bolt and go, oh, check this out. I'm going to go see what's going on out here uh, if they don't know what to do, right? So I teach my dogs to stay at the front door, but you also have to teach them what to do once they get out and they don't have a leash on. So while I can't advocate that you go out and walk your dog without a leash, I think it's very important to teach your dog what to do when there is no leash. I think it's important to teach you as the owner what to do when your dog doesn't have a leash on, doesn't have that restraint because we're all humans. We're not perfect, guys. Things are going to happen. So if I can train my dog what to do with that, I'm setting them up for more success, okay? So how do you get there? How do you do it? What do you do? Uh, you know, there's there's a couple things to note. There are. There's a few things you need to note here, and one of the first ones is you have to have a good relationship with your dog, and oddly enough, wouldn't you know it, coincidentally, uh, last episode, I did a whole segment on how to build a good relationship with your dog, very, very important. If you don't have a good relationship with your dog, then I got news for you: from fifty feet away, your dog is not going to care about what you have to say. It's, it's that's just the truth of it. If you haven't built trust, confidence, and a relationship with your animal, then they're not going to have that same trust and confidence back with back at you, right? So you need to have a good relationship with your dog. Go back to that last episode. You can listen on that segment and how to how to do that better. Second thing we want to know: you need to be able to walk your dog. As I always say, it starts with two feet of leash. If I can't control my dog with two feet of leash, forget it. You're never going to be able to have control with 50 feet or no leash. Okay, So it starts with two feet of leash, and that starts with a good walk. Once again, coincidentally, a few weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I did a segment on all about on how to walk your dog. Go back, check it out, have a listen, um, and you, know, you can get started on a better walk. It's all about doing a proper walk. There is a right and a wrong way to do it, and you've got to start doing it the right way okay one of the things I'm really looking for on that walk guys focus your dog needs to know how to focus you have to have the ability to control and manipulate their focus and be able to reinforce and strengthen that focus with you and that's part of the, the trust and the relationship building too um, but the walk the walk is how we build that focus and that's where it begins I've said it a couple times I'll say it again if you can't dribble the basket, can't dribble the basketball, you're not going to be in the NBA. If you can't walk your dog, you're not going to train them very well. It's that simple. The walk is the foundation and the building block. So if you want to get your dog working off leash, if you want to get them with a recall, you have to have a solid walk under control. That's where it starts. Okay, so it starts with two feet of leash. Now, if If the walk's going phenomenal, my dog's with me, they're zoned in on the walk, we're on a mission, they're doing great, I've got their focus, I can stop, they stop, I turn, they turn, they're constantly checking in with me, we've got a healthy walk going, they're ignoring triggers and other dogs barking, they're ignoring distractions, that's when I know we're ready to start working off leash, okay, but until I have those things, until that criteria is met, off leash is not going to work so well (laughs) if your dog doesn't know how to walk by another dog without barking its head off and losing its mind at it then I got news for you dropping the leash is probably not going to work for you yet okay you can change those behaviors but I don't recommend just dropping the leash if your dog doesn't know how to do any of those things I just mentioned okay so important something to think about there okay so we have the walk under control all's going you know all is well the next step from here And this is something I like to do when you're close by the house. Maybe you're just right outside the house on the sidewalk. You're not far. You're in a safe environment. There's not a lot of traffic around. You know there's not a lot of distractions and triggers around. We need to do this safely. I go out and I walk my dog. I start redirecting them. We start walking together. I can turn. They turn. I'll drop the leash at one point and let them just start dragging the leash around, continuing the walk. Okay, Continuing having them walk with me, follow me, making sure they're staying focused. Now, of course, we're using treats. We're rewarding anytime they're paying attention. We're rewarding and strengthening anytime they're turning with us and paying them walking with us, checking in with us on the walk. Okay, We're strengthening that behavior. So now we're dropping the leash. We're letting them walk with us. And we're starting to encourage them. See, look at that. Leash isn't in my hand and you're still sticking with me. Little baby steps here. Right? That's how it begins. Then I might do some little things like I'll put them in a sit and stay. Walk 10 feet, 12 feet backwards, and then release them to come to me. So that way, the leash is dragging, right? But I'm putting some distance between me and them. They have an opportunity to turn and walk the other way if they want to. But I've strengthened them focusing on me. I've strengthened them wanting to stay near me. I've strengthened that behavior to a point that if I put them in a sit and stay, back away, then release them and call them toward me, well, if I've strengthened that behavior, guess what? That's what they're going to do, even with the leash dropped. So you can see what's happening here. Slowly but surely, I am teaching them, I can put distance between you and myself, and the rules don't change. The control is still there, and I strengthen and encourage that behavior. And then, wouldn't you know it, that behavior grows and and becomes more. Reinforcement, as we've talked about. Reinforcement increases behavior. Punishment decreases behavior. I've been reinforcing their focus, reinforcing them staying with me. And, wouldn't you know it, once you start dropping the leash, that's going to continue. Now... At this point, once we really start getting more than like 10 feet of distance, once we start getting more than the leash that we have, right usually we're using so we should be using a six foot leash at this point. Then I need to get a longer leash. Okay, They make train what they call a training leash. It's a nylon leash, but it's going to be at least like 10, 15, 20, 30 feet, even 50 feet in length. Not one of those big metal ones. I really don't like the metal, uh, you know, outdoor leashes like a backyard leash. Uh, They have many names as well. But, you know, the metal ones with the rubber coating on them, those can be really dangerous. I don't like using those. A nylon leash is a safer option. Okay, so I'll pop one of those longer training leashes on them and let them start dragging that around out in front of my house in the front yard. Okay? Again, let them drag it, walk. We rinse and repeat the process I just explained. Now, we can start working on, that's that's to start getting them walking with you, right? That's to get them walking with you with no leash. Now, how do we start the recall? Well, we've been building it by utilizing the walk. Now, I want you to go out into the front yard, slap on one of those training leashes, let them drag it around, and just let them have some fun. Let them sniff and get distracted in the front yard and, you know, pee on things and <laughs> whatever. But, at some point, I am going to make my kissy noise, right? That's what I really like to use as a redirection. I'm going to make that kissy noise and call their name. Now, simultaneously, this is important. Simultaneously, as I'm making that kissy noise and as I'm calling their name, I'm going to have picked up that big leash and I'm going to start reeling them in like a fish. (laughs) Okay, I'm serious. You're going to come here buddy, come here, and reel them in and reel them in and reel them in, don't give them an option to not come to you, that's the point, reel them into you, make them come over to you make it exciting, call their name, use the kissy noise, and the second they get to you give them a treat, good boy make a big deal about it, good job and then we're done, in and out then you go All right. release them, they get to go back to sniffing and being distracted, now I like to wait till they get distracted again, and then I do it again, kissy noise and reel them in simultaneously don't give them the benefit of the doubt yet I want to be reeling in that leash and calling their name at the same time. Come here, buddy. Reeling them in. Come here, buddy. Reeling them in. Boom. Treat in the face. When they get to me, make a big deal about a good job in and out. We're done. Let them get distracted again. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat before you know it, guys, you're going to make that kissing noise. And before you can even make the first pull to reel the leash in, that dog's going to be turning and running for you because they know you've created a physical pattern of, I hear this noise, I turn and come to you. And then I get fed. I hear that kissy noise, I turn, I run to you, I get fed. If you do this every day for two to three weeks, a couple times a day, go out in your yard, spend 10 to 15 minutes doing this, go out and do the walk, do the turns, drop the leash, reward, you are going to be so surprised how quickly your dog will be working off leash with you. Now again, again guys, I need you to be safe, I need you to be smart about the way you set this up. Do not put your dog out in the front yard if you live in a very high traffic environment and drop that leash and not have control. Be smart about how you're doing this. Making sure that end of the leash is always within reach, whether you're stepping on the leash or you're grabbing it. Make sure you have control at all times. If you really want to be safe about it, go into your backyard if it's fenced. Find a fenced dog park area where you go early in the morning when nobody else is there and practice these things. That way you're in a controlled, uncontrolled environment. You're still putting the 15, 20-foot leash on them, but that way you know they can't run away and it's a little safer. But I can't stress this enough, guys. Please Be smart. Use your heads. Do not set yourself up in a way that your dog can run away from you. Do not set yourself up in a way where it's dangerous for the dog or dangerous for other people around you, right? If your dog has got some aggressive tendencies, maybe don't start working on a recall. (laughs) Maybe try to fix some of those behavioral issues first. Get the walk under control. Then you can start working off leash. Um, it's, you know, people are always, when they have puppies, a side note on this, when people have puppies, they're always like, oh, I want him to listen off leash. She's four months old. He's not listening off leash. She turned and ran away from him. I was like, four months old. <laughs> what do you expect? Um, people expect perfection out of their puppies. It's it's mind boggling to me. Well, I've been training him for two weeks. He should be, you know, why, why doesn't he come to me when I call him every single time? Because he's a puppy. <laughs> he's a puppy. So a side note on that, guys, I don't trust puppies. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't trust a puppy ever 100%. Because you know why? They're puppies. I just had this conversation with somebody yesterday that it, a puppy is like a child. I'm not going to, uh you know, the, <laughs> this client basically says, well, you know, I don't want to leave the collar on her because she's going to get caught up on something. And <laughs> then We're not getting into this conversation today. But I looked at her and go, Why are you leaving this puppy unattended, first of all? It's a puppy. That's like saying, well, I'm going to leave the four-year-old across the house, in the other room, completely unmonitored, and nothing will go wrong, right? (laughs) That's just crazy to me. It's a puppy. It's a puppy. They're not supposed to know what to do. They're not supposed to come back to you 100% of the time because it's a puppy. They're still learning. They're still figuring the world out around them. It is your job as the owner to set your dog up for success. It is your responsibility. It is on you. Okay. I need you to hear that. It is your responsibility to set your dogs up for success. So the side note on the recall and things like that, I don't care if I've been working a recall with a puppy for two or three months. I still am not going to trust them 100% until they're at least a year old. Okay? Now, two or three months, that's a long time. That's a lot of, if you've really been honing in on on a skill, on a training skill, and you're really reinforcing it day after day for two or three, that is a long time. I would trust a puppy a little bit more, but they're still a puppy. It's like saying you're going to trust a teenager to act like a full-grown adult. And most adults don't act like adults. <laughs> but that's a different story. Um, so keep that in mind, please. Please be smart about the way you do training with off-leash. Please be smart when you're training a recall, okay? Let, let, let's let's not lose our brains just because uh, David on the podcast told me to drop the leash, okay? Be smart about it, guys. Don't be Don't be dumb. (laughs) I mean that in the nicest way possible. Don't be dumb. Uh, We don't need more of that. Okay. So, again, it's actually pretty simple when it comes to a recall and working off leash. It really is. Look, to me, most of training is actually pretty simplistic. This is why I always say K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. Um, But that's why it's complicated for us because we're not built simply. We're not wired to be simple. We're very complicated beings. And that's the disconnect, right? I think that's the disconnect there. So a recall is pretty simple, but it takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of repetition. So what's it going to start with? It's going to start with two feet of leash. It's going to start with making sure we have our walk under control, we have focus from our dog, and we have the ability to guide and direct them. Okay, We're going to want to strengthen those behaviors with treats of them paying attention, of them being focused, of them maintaining, uh, of us maintaining control with them on the walk. Once we have a solid walk going, then we're going to drop the leash in a safe way, let them drag the leash around, and be able to reinforce them following with us. Then we can do little things like put them in a sit and stay, back away release them, teach them to come to you, right? With the leash dragging outside, so that way they start learning, we can put a little distance between us. Now, at this point, we're gonna be putting on a training leash, at least a 10 to 15 foot leash, but you can also put on a 20, 30, 50 foot training cloth leash, okay? A nylon leash, a nice cloth leash. It's just a really long version of it, okay? This will allow us to set them up in a successful way, in a controlled way, to start teaching them to be off leash more. Then once we've we're started getting that walk under control a little more off-leash, we're going to start working the recall, maybe in the front yard or in a controlled environment in the backyard where it's fenced in, something like that. Either way, we're going to keep that long training leash on them, let them get distracted, then use our kissy noise, call their name buddy-buddy, <laughs> reel them then reinforce it. Rinse and repeat the process over and over. Before you know it, your dog's gonna be just coming and turning to you when you make that kissy noise and call their name. Of course, we always wanna reinforce any desired behaviors, strengthen desired behaviors. Basic rule of thumb, guys, I really say, it, you can't, you can, but the average owner really can't. Uh, reinforce behaviors too much. So it's always important that you remind your dogs and you tell them what you like. Reinforce it. And we use a lot of treats for that, okay? So uh, keep that in mind. And again, keep in mind, please don't trust a puppy 100% off leash. It's not gonna go well. Uh, that puppy turns into a teenager at some point. And what do teenagers do? Well, they realize they can walk away from the nest at some point, don't they? Uh, so it's important that you you take time to build that trust with your dog. You don't take it for granted. It is better that you keep the leash on for more time than you needed than to have taken it off too early. Okay. One other side note, of course, as I said at the beginning, do make sure you know your local and state leash laws. Very important factor to understand. And of course, if you're in the state of Florida... If you are on private property, you're allowed to have a leash off, but the second you leave private property, your dogs must be leashed. So hope you got a little uh, information out of that. It'll get you on the right track to getting to walk your dog off leash a little more and, of course, having that great recall. Hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Don't forget to click that subscribe or follow button. Find me on Instagram, Speak A Dogcast, Facebook Speak A Dog Cast, or speakadogcast.com. If you have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me, Questions at speakadogcast.com. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our guest spot. And today's guest joining me is Dr. Ken Conley, and he is a veterinary pathologist, and he is going to be talking to us about some very interesting stuff today. So please help me welcome to the show, Dr. Ken Conley. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great, man. It's, um, it's wonderful to join you. Very nice to be here with you, um, but feeling pretty good, especially good. Given, given the times.
0: Yes. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Now, uh, Ken and I actually go way back, um, to before I was born. That's how long you've known me. Um, (laughs) uh, good, good family, friends, and we've definitely known each other a long time. And I know my brother and your brother were very good friends growing up. And so, you know, actually, oddly enough, some of my earliest memories of you are are honking the horn in the, in the little, uh, well, you drove an eclipse. Is that what it was? Picking Becca it, up for it foreign was. language? was. That yeah, was my, my this, first car.
1: That, senior in high school, picking your sister that, up uh, to go to school. Yeah,
0: foreign language class, man, because <laughs> she was right. in eighth grade. And she took, is, right. isn't that amazing how that kind of, yeah. I'm very impressed. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but uh, <laughs> wait, wait, wait.
1: To take it a step further, sure. that, that car was referred to as the leash, which I'm only bringing up because no, it's it so appropriate. And that car was a leash because it got the Ken dog around. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> How all great is that? I love it. Was it was a Martindale. Love... It
1: was a Martindale collar too. So it was all very good. That's amazing. Oh
0: my god, <laughs> that couldn't be more perfect. Are you kidding me? Oh, off to a good start. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So hey, let's 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 talk about the good stuff. Sorry, Ken. Tell me, tell us, tell us all about uh, more about what you do.
1: Sure. So yeah, I am a, a veterinary pathologist, um, an anatomic pathologist, which means my work. Uh, looking at tissue, really, looking at tissues more than cells, um, and the fact that I'm a veterinary pathologist. Obviously, I focus on animals. I went to, to veterinary school and then did some specialty education uh, to, to prepare myself to be a pathologist. Um, currently, I work for a large conservation organization and zoo, and so my work right now is focused on zoo animals and and non domestic So um, any species and and this uh right now i work with animals as small as as a couple grams sized toad up to elephants and then because as with most zoos we do have a petting zoo somewhere in the in-between there's some sheep and goats and and cattle so it's the whole range of animals that i get to work with uh in in my position now
0: Nice home on the range. Yeah, there you go. Uh, (laughs) Couldn't help it. Sorry. Uh, That's fantastic. And so let's talk, let's, let's, let's go back first. Let's tell, let's talk about a little bit about your background. Where'd you go to school? I am a Florida boy.
1: So, you uh, you know, obviously we, uh, family, friends grew up, uh, both of us grew up in the great state of Sunshine State. um, And All of my education came through the University of Florida, uh, which has a, you know, Go Gators, a wonderful veterinary school, really provided some great training. Uh, So I'm from the Orlando area. Um, I grew up, even though it was the suburbs, it was still Florida. And so we had wild animals everywhere. And that's what I was surrounded with, Um, egrets and herons. Uh, gators on the side of the road and then of course lizards everywhere and so grabbing lizards and putting them in fish tanks for a few days in the garage was where I got hooked um, but uh, all of my education at the University of Florida um, I, I went to undergrad vet school and then uh, went out into the world for a little bit I, I worked in DC and Manhattan and then came back to Gainesville to do my pathology residency um, and uh, from then, I've been uh, working as an anatomic pathologist uh, for the past uh, 10 years or so. Oh,
0: nice. That's fantastic. I guess
1: I should probably slow down and, and mention what exactly a pathologist does. I yeah, I was, I, you, I you took the words out of my mouth. Yeah, <laughs> not, uh, not <laughs> maybe widespread. So uh, pathologist pathology is the study of disease. Um, yeah. And um, I am interested very much in disease in animals, what causes disease. Uh, but more so as a pathologist, I'm interested in what, what that looks like. Uh, what does that look like at the, at the cell level, at the tissue level? What do these diseases do to animals in a way that I can then make a diagnosis or I can help other veterinarians make diagnoses? And uh, the way that my, I do my job, the way that I look into disease in animals, for the most part, um, for what I do, is by doing reading biopsies and by doing post-mortem exams uh, I think autopsy is, is the word that most everyone that's listening would be familiar with in veterinary medicine. We often call them a necropsy. So biopsy and necropsy are, are my two, uh, sort of tools that I use for the most part in diagnosis of disease and in my, in my job on a regular basis. And like I said, the, the species that I deal with is a very, very wide range. Um, but I'm looking at tissues from all of these animals.
0: Oh, that's cool. So
1: I, I, you know, um, for some familiarity, uh, you find a bump on your dog and bring your dog to the vet. Um, One thing that a vet is likely to do is take a biopsy and Mm -hmm. and people don't always know what happens uh, with that biopsy. Well, it would go to a pathologist like me and we would make slides out of it or our lab would make slides out of it. And then we look at those slides to be able to say what the heck that bump was.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's a big part of what we do.
0: Yeah. That's one of the most common things with dogs, right? The lumps.
1: The lumps and bumps. Yeah, the lumps and
0: bumps, man. Yeah. I mean, I've got my my old golden retriever is definitely starting to show that a bit and uh, interestingly enough, Ken he also has a thyroid condition like myself. Um, oh, yeah. We recently, yeah, he actually had to have uh, ethanol injection, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, uh, ethanol injection to to apparently level it out, and it it worked really well. Um, so you guys
1: are brothers. You guys we are, are, brothers. We are brothers in disease.
0: That's <laughs> what we, so we kind of laughed about. It. I know, I know. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really cool. That's awesome. So, okay. You have a particular animal that you like to work on or work with or study. Is there any really particular species? I mean, anything?
1: Yeah. Um, well, so it's weird. Um, I, I, I downplayed it a little bit, but uh, biopsies are great. But in the zoo setting, uh, we actually do post-mortem exams much more frequently than biopsies. And so when someone asks me, what animal do I like to work with, I have to sort of put it out there. Well, are you asking about the live side? Or what animal do I like uh, coming through for post-mortem exams? Um, so it's an awkward question. Maybe a with pathologists can be awkward. Um, yeah. I am a birds and reptiles kind of guy Um, when it comes to uh, the nitty gritty of what I do. And when it comes to research, that that's what I tend to focus on. Um, A little bit of that is based on background, um, but a lot of it is based on that. I just really like it. I think they're really amazing and fascinating animals on so many levels. Absolutely. Um, But I really also like to be able to cuddle with animals and, and, play with animals, and you really can't do that with many zoo species. So, <laughs> I do have a great affinity for dogs and cats, and spend much time with dogs and cats.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, hey, I, I know what you mean. You know, it's funny, when I first started, you know, when I first got into animals, I was strictly dogs. I uh, started off as a dog trainer, and it wasn't until I got to work at a, at a certain facility in Orlando that had I mean, dogs, cats, birds—all different kinds of species—and I had I had no clue how to really. I mean, it, it, I was lucky enough naturally. I think I had a feel for it. And I got, but I fell in love with birds. I yeah. didn't think I was going to. I, you know, I was like, all right, they're a little funky, you know, a little different. And then once you start connecting with them, and this was birds of prey. This is from macaws, cockatoos, <clears throat> really crows. They're just so much fun, and they're fascinating. so fascinating, and just these little dinosaurs, you know. I mean, that's that's yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah. I totally get it. The vultures, oddly enough, um, that's Man. the one I really, really, really liked. And the owls and the, and the hawks and really cool. But the vultures were just. I mean, it's like nature's disposal. First of all, you know that's that's just cool unto itself. But just I don't know what it was about them. Body language and just the way you can work with them, and you really didn't have to have a glove, you know, to to put wow. a, you know, to hang out with them, and sure. um, so yeah, I really liked working with birds. I totally get that. And reptiles, of course, I mean, snake doesn't have arm and, arms and legs. If that That's doesn't fascinate you and you're an animal person, then come on. Uh, have you done
1: Have you done training with uh, with reptiles? Uh,
0: not much training, as much as you know, yeah. just kind of husbandry stuff and educational sure. work. I've, I've worked a little bit with you know some uh, had some hands on with some bigger pythons and a Burmese and, uh, some things like that. I have some snakes of my own. Um, but not, not too much training. You know, I know people that have done like target training with tortoises and and, and, and things like that. You can teach them a mark and, uh, those kinds. So yeah, there's, there's, I, I really should kind of, you know, I really should kind of get my butt up and start doing some more reptile training. uh, because it is, it's, it's, I, we, I talked about this just recently on an episode where this, you know, long story you can have you can have a relationship with something like a yes. crocodilian, uh, an Absolutely. alligator, you know. And the fact that this, I was trying to work this alligator, he wasn't having it. This other guy comes in who he knows, and the gator calms right down, and it's just, he's oh, like, that's come on, chill out, man. And it's like, okay, you
1: know. <laughs> and crocodilians, and, and yeah. that's what I was going to yeah. say is we do we have uh, yeah. doing some training with some large crocodilians at our zoo, and it's just it's just amazing to see these. Uh, what can be very scary animals and what are very large animals Yes. following the lead of their keeper. I mean, it, it's, it's really pretty, it's pretty neat. Yeah. And, and, you know, something that you talk about a lot when you, when you talk about taking a dog out on a walk, what is that? That is knowing the biological behavior of a species that is knowing, I mean, for a dog, it's different. Um, It's knowing the background, but for a zoo species or for a non-domestic species, you don't have to know its ancestral origins you have to know where he came from. Where does this species live, and what is his job? What does mm-hmm. he do out in the wild, um, and and how can we replicate that? Number one, um, and then number two, if we're going to do some training, what what would be this animal's motivation, um, and what would be some things that would potentially uh, be roadblocks? Um, um, fear. What what would induce fear in this animal that could be a problem or a roadblock for for training. And, and it's just, it's a lot of what you talk about. It's just a lot of you tweak it a little bit. You don't think about a wolf. You think about the actual species and, and where does he live and what does he do?
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, it's, it's psychology. I say this all the time, you know, behaviors, 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 behavior, psychology is psychology. And these principles, whether you're, I tell people this, when I walk in to train their dogs, I go, look, it doesn't matter whether I'm working with a dog, cat, bird, ape, you need to understand that animal's motivation, what motivates them, what doesn't motivate them, and understanding how to manipulate that and, and, and replicate those tasks, uh, right, that they might have in the wild and learning how to, um, to utilize that and be able to reinforce that desired behavior and work with them in a cohesive way. Uh, and that's kind of what it's all about. So um,
1: a lot of it, too, is observation. Um, oh, yeah. And- for our species, they are not comfortable with humans, so they're not going to be putting out signs and signals the way that a, that a horse may. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, horses can be v- very obvious when they're unhappy, <laughs> just like a dog can be. You know, a cat can be very obvious. Uh, something like a crocodilian, you know, he... There's no ears to put down,
0: right? <laughs> a little more subtle.
1: <laughs> That's right. And so observation is extremely important. Yes. Um, and, and not only for training, but, but when it comes to health. And so much sure. of our training is towards improving the health of these animals, training them to present a flipper for an exam, or training them to sit on an x-ray plate or something like that. Um, and, and so, But the observation is also just for mo- general monitoring of health. And, and our keepers are so adept at that, is, is to be able to look and say, that just doesn't look right. You know, that animal is not my animal the way that I know him or her.
0: You recognize um, those patterns, so, yeah. behavioral patterns, and how those can affect, uh, well, have not affect, but come into play with biology and and medical conditions. Absolutely. Um, look when I when I the same things. I mean, it's it's whether you're in behavior, whether you're doing medical, or whether you're a zookeeper, uh, veterinarian, everything in between. It's it's funny because we're all I think we're all kind of taught that that same thing is you need to learn your animal and learn their patterns because oftentimes exactly like when working with a macaw or something like that. Uh, that tend to hide um, mm, medical yeah. issues that don't really oh, yeah. show it. It's very important that you understand not just what their poop looked like yesterday, the day before, and today, but also when they pooped, how often they're pooping. Um, do they look right? Are they drooping their wings a little more today? Is that not their normal MO? Is that not the normal pattern we run through in the morning? Um, and those things are so important to be able to recognize and, and to bring them to your attention and uh, right. try to head off those medical conditions. So absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And- One thing I hear, um, somewhat regularly in our, in our, in our rounds meetings is just wasn't doing its behaviors the same as normal. Mm. And, and so that's the, another thing you look for is, is are they feeling good? Are they responding to that target? Are they responding to, uh, whatever stimulus it is that they should be responding to the Mm -hmm. same that they, that they have been.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, uh, you're enjoying New York, are you planning on staying up there and, and
1: I I um I it turns out that I am a city guy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> City guy yeah. who loves animals, look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it
1: all works out pretty well. Um, we've we've got our, our somewhat geriatric dog and cat and, and then we've got a uh, little tortoise and a nice. fish and you know whatever else may stumble through our doors. Sure. A couple of children that counts, yeah, right? Children,
0: yeah, they do. They're they're a little more crazy, you know. They're, they're a little they're harder. You dogs. can't you can't put them in, <laughs> you can't put them in the crate, you know. That's my issue Wait, what? with the kid. You're not? <laughs> I won't tell social <laughs> services. That's all. <hard. laughs> <No. laughs> so, so you have a dog. What kind of dog do you have?
1: Um, uh, Roxy is a Florida brindle. She came from the uh, Latro County uh, Animal Rescue. Um, when um, my wife and I moved to Gainesville for the residency, for my pathology residency. Um, so she's, she's getting up there. Um, yeah. He is a wonderful dog, just a wonderful dog. And in, in um, listening to your podcast and, and chastising myself a little bit for our, <laughs> our, uh, what we do with Roxy, um, I think we're just really blessed and lucky that she has turned out to be such, a, such an amazing a friend to have around um she uh you know she's like like many uh pit mixes whatever she she doesn't love other dogs Mm. um but has mellowed out in her old age uh, very much um (laughs) she used to be called roxy roxy Jean, the couch eating machine Uh so she went through a couch eating phase but that passed that's gone (laughs) many years now (laughs) Now we can only speak the positive oh, about Roxy.
0: No. She's such a good dog. Oh, it's a good thing you live thousands of miles away from me because otherwise, man, I'd be knocking on your door. Ken, we, we got to fix this. Come on, man. You would. You Come would. On. <laughs>
1: but we'd go on a walk. I think you'd be impressed. Yeah? I think. I think so, man. Well, right I, next
0: to us. I feel like, you know, in the city, you, you've got a, your dog better yes. walk well, right? <laughs> yes. You kind of don't really have an option.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there are those that don't. You know, you see the yeah. occasional extendo leash. Oh, and, oh yeah, 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 God, no. Don't, and there's not don't enough don't sidewalk don't for us. Short leash, no, much less that thing.
0: Stupid extendable. Those things should be illegal. I Yeah, I've said it before. Those things should be illegal. They're terrible. Um, I'm pretty sure there's these things called dog parks. I don't know. Have you ever heard of them <laughs> where your dog can actually get more freedom <laughs> and sniff I and pee on things? We may
1: have three in my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think those are a thing
0: in the city. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken um yeah 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 it was a little freedom <laughs> well hey that's interesting uh my first dog actually came from alatra in alatra county rescue and she is a phenomenal dog so i don't know maybe alatra county is something it's something in the water down there in the I'd limestone. i'd buy it um, i would buy it <laughs> but no my uh my half half lab half great dane penny lane uh we got her right literally I right as we were penny leaving lane here. did you meet her i did meet-, meet her oh, i man, did no yeah. One time, one time. Yeah. Cause I mean, we had her, I think two months and then we moved to Orlando. That was, um, yeah. yeah, that's, you know, Ken used to actually come, uh, well you, it wasn't your wife at the time, but you guys no. used to come to my, my shows, oh, uh, so. I used to be in a band. <laughs> Everybody out there knows that, but. Uh, wow. Bring that out. Yeah. Let's bring that out. No, I used to be in, <laughs> in a college, a little college rock band, you know. Uh, we used to play a lot of local shows in Gainesville, and uh, it was always nice to have friends and, and people there supporting. You, and Ken was always, always oh yeah, nice it was a great to, scene. Yeah, yeah, that was, was that was scene. that was a lot of fun, man. Those were those were good days, you know. <laughs> those were good times. Gainesville is a good time. It it what a, what a neat town, and the fact that hey, we got I came
1: to- out of Gainesville with two degrees and uh, and my residency, and uh, I ended up with two two Florida brindles out of a county. Oh really? So Worked out very well
0: for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a wife out of Lachua County too. You so, you know, wife and a dog, it's not so bad. Life's uh, <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, Ken and I, like I said, we go way back. It's, it was kind of amazing that we got to connect in Gainesville after, you know, knowing each other in Orlando, um, moved away to New York. And I know I've tried to connect with you a couple times when I've been up there, it's sort of been some last minute trips. And uh, that was the client who needed me to drive a dog up to Jersey. Mm-hmm. That was kind of nuts. Um... But anyway, yeah, you know, we we, I I just love that it doesn't really matter how many years have gone by, man. It feels Absolutely. like you know, it feels like it was twelve years ago sitting sitting around having beers and after the yesterday, played, my friend. And, exactly, I love it. I love it, and I haven't seen your brother in a while either. It's been it's been a it's been a day since I've seen him. Uh, But I know you gotta go find
1: him. Yeah. Well, I gotta go
0: find him. I I gotta find Ringo. Right. Uh, yeah,
1: man. (laughs) Look that guy up. You look that guy up, go, go look up Jeff Conley and go see one of his cooking shows. Actually,
0: you know what? Yes, please do. Jeff Conley is an amazing chef guys. His Ken's brother is really awesome. And he's a character and a half, just like Ken. Uh, really (laughs) just, you guys, you guys are too much fun. You really are. I love spending time with the Conleys Um, and chef Jeff, man, you can check chef Jeff out you know if he has any uh, any Instagram I can give him a plug on or anything
1: well, if he does, I wouldn't know it. And I know, stuck, I know you're not stuck social media. I know
0: you're not social media savvy. That's why when I asked that I kinda of went, No, he's not even if he that's had right. he's not gonna know the did. answer to this. I don't
1: know. I do not know. That's all
0: right. That's all right. Well Chef Jeff Conley, man. If uh I'm sure if he's out there on the internet, all you gotta do is find him and you'll you'll find Chef Jeff. I mean I know him as Ringo. That's that's my my name for Jeff. Um but uh we we won't get too much into the inside jokes here today. But uh <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Hey man, look, this has been a blast. I've really enjoyed having you on the oh, show. Yeah. This was a good time. This really was. And uh, I really appreciate you taking your time out. You know, I know you got the kids and the madness of, uh, of, of, of life in the city and, and being such a big time doctor. So I really well, appreciate, uh, appreciate it.
1: And then I think, thanks for having me on. Um, there, I, referred in the beginning not a lot of people know about pathology so whenever i can talk about it and whenever i can talk about animals with someone else who likes talking about animals i'm
0: in awesome awesome man well hey thanks again ken and uh, right. you guys stay safe up there and take care happy new year thanks you too in these crazy times we are living in right now there is only one thing for certain you gotta eat and if you gotta eat you better eat good I know when I'm cooking and eating at home, I only want to use the highest quality ingredients. So I turned to my friend Ken Ko over at Southern Pride Gourmet Foods. You can check him out too over at SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Now they have barbecue sauces, spice rubs, hot sauces, and jellies just to name a few i got my hands on some of that peach habanero jelly and i was putting it on everything i was eating it on my toast in the morning i also took some of ken's barbecue sauce slapped it on some pork finished it off with some of that habanero jelly stuck it in the oven and it was sweet tangy spicy deliciousness absolutely amazing now when you buy from southern pride gourmet foods you know you're getting a quality product from a quality guy Ken knows what he's talking about, and he better. He's been doing it right and doing it right for over 50 years. The best part, guys, Southern Pride delivers nationwide. That's right, nationwide delivery. Now, he also has amazing gift baskets, and with the holidays coming up, you're definitely going to want to get your hands on those, and definitely be sure you get your hands on some of the beef jerky Ken sells. It is some of the most delectable beef jerky I've ever tasted. I am a beef jerky fanatic. All different kinds of flavors to choose from. You know, you just have to do yourself a favor. Head on over to SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Check it out for yourself. That's right. SouthernPrideGourmetFoods.com. Where everything they have is yummy for the tummy. Alright, so the answer to today's trivia question. What breed of dog is the only breed of dog that doesn't bark? The answer is the Basinji. Yes, an African hunting dog, the Basinji is the only dog that cannot bark. This trait is probably due to the shallow laryngeal ventricle in its larynx. However, Basinjis are not silent. They do make a wide variety of other noises and actually a unique yodeling sound. So, yes, the Basinji is the only breed of dog that doesn't bark. <laughs> Next on Speak Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Samoyed. Now, the Samoyed is a medium-sized dog. They range, uh, well, the males are 45 to 60 pounds, and the females range from 35 to 50 pounds. Of course, they are in the working group, a working dog. They're known for being friendly and gentle, but also known for being very highly adaptable. Now, they are smart and very social, and they can also be a bit mischievous and demanding of attention, so these guys do need a firm but loving hand when it comes to training. Now, they're a generally healthy dog, but there are a few health issues that you do need to be aware of. Responsible breeders, they'll, uh, you know, they'll check their stock for health conditions such as hip dysplasia, eye, and cardiac disorders as well. But of course, those regular vet visits are one of the best ways to ensure a happy and healthy pup. And these guys, when they're well taken care of, their life expectancy is 12 to 14 years. Now, the origin of the Samoyed, well, they can be traced back to parts of Siberia. Now, they Uh, The name Samoyed actually comes from a semi-nomadic people that originally bred them. And I might butcher the name a little bit. I was trying to find a correct pronunciation. I believe it's Samoyedi is how it's said. And again, the Samoyed was was actually named after these people. And these people have migrated from Siberia over a thousand years ago. Now, they bred the dogs to to work hard in some of the coldest habitable places on Earth. Yes, temperatures in these areas can actually plummet to negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit. So the Samoyed's coat is built to insulate them, keep them warm. And, uh, you know, what was really fascinating is the Samoyedi people would actually live in tents and they would huddle together with their packs of dogs to keep them warm. And, you know, this mutual cooperation for survival, it really helps solidify a tight bond between the Samoyeds and the people who raised them. Now, Not only did the Samoyed help sledge loads across the vast expanses of Siberia, but they were also great watchdogs hunters, and eventually were even incorporated as a herding dog as well. In the late 18th century, Arctic adventurers returning to England introduced the Samoyed to British dog lovers. In America, they made their debut in 1906 as Mustan of Argento was the first AKC-registered Samoyed, uh, excuse me, Samoyedi as they were originally called. The mushers of the early 20th century knew these dogs to be a capable hauler, being able to pull one and a half times their own weight. You know, I've had the opportunity to work with a few of these guys, and they really, they're hard workers, they're eager to please, and one can easily see why the Samoyed is still a sought-after breed today. Next up on Speak Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. First question today comes from Buddy in Orlando, Florida. Buddy asks, why does my dog follow me around everywhere? Well, the short answer, Buddy, is that it's actually in his genes. As pack animals, they naturally want to be with their pack, and well, you are their pack. However, there's a fine line. I always like to say, a dog should want to be with you, not need to be with you. So it's all about creating balance. You don't want to be unknowingly reinforcing some separation anxiety in your dog. So again, it's important to understand that your dog wants to be with you, not needs to be with you. Next question. This comes from Sarah in Jacksonville, Florida. Sarah asks, Do you sleep with your dogs and is it okay if I do? Well, the short answer, Sarah, is yes, I do sleep with my dogs. I don't have a problem with it. They don't necessarily sleep on our bed every night. We give them plenty of dog beds and comfortable places around the house. But, you know, I do allow dogs on my furniture. I do allow dogs on my bed. However, it must be controlled. That's my always my one rule. People ask me this a lot. Do you allow dogs on furniture? Look, whether you allow them on your furniture, whether you don't allow them on your furniture, to me, it's an arbitrary rule. It's not right or wrong. Some people don't want their dogs on the furniture. That's perfectly acceptable. Nothing wrong with that. What I care about is, do they come up on the furniture when I ask them to come up? Do they get off when I ask them to get off? Do you have control over it? To me, that's more important than the actual act of being up or not being up on the furniture. So yes, you can sleep with your dog. But well, just as I talked about in the first question today, it's all about balance. You need to be able to have control, and you need to know your dog is not controlling that space, taking control over your bed. That's really what I care about. Next question. This comes from Beth in Richmond, Virginia. Beth asks, is your house covered in dog fur, and what do you do to keep it clean? Short answer, yeah, Beth, it is. <laughs> no, there, yeah, there, there's always going to be fur in my house, unfortunately. Look, I've got four dogs of my own. I have two golden retrievers. Come on now. Tumbleweeds of golden retrievers are always everywhere, no matter how much you keep up with it. I have a Chihuahua. Now, she may not shed as bad as a big dog, but she still sheds. And my half-lab, half-great-dane, Penny Lane. Love her to death, but she is a shedding machine. So, yeah, I've got four dogs that shed on their own, plus all the other dogs that come in for boarding and doggy day camping so yes I do have fur around my house now some tricks that I like to do is constantly vacuuming, right? <laughs> That's one trick you can always do constantly vacuuming. But I do I put I also have little things I'll put uh, quilts over some of my furniture to keep them nice and clean or some proper covers for the furniture that are easily washable. So we're able to get that fur up easily. Of course, lint rollers, lint rolls, rollers are a great way um, to keep fur off of furniture. You can they make giant lint rollers now so makes it a little more convenient and easy. But If you're going to have a dog, you're going to have fur. Let's not get into the hypoallergenic dog talk today. Uh, But if you have a dog who has fur, they're going to shed, guys. That's a part of having a dog. And if you don't want dog fur in your house, don't get a dog. Um, But, of course, constant vacuuming, dusting, little things like that that definitely go a long way. Our house does not stay covered in fur as we keep up with it. Um, But there's no way to avoid it when you have a dog. There's going to be fur, and you just have to kind of deal with it. wrap up the podcast today. Thank you again for joining us. And of course, a special thank you to Dr. Ken Conley for joining us on the guest spot. If you guys have any questions for the listener Q&A, email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Don't forget to follow us, leave a uh, review, leave a rating, let us know what you're thinking. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog.